Good morning and welcome to another Mini Monday episode of Crime Over Coffee. Part of our Mini Monday series will include episodes about the stories surrounding cold cases that do not have quite enough information for a full episode. Today's mini episode is about an unsolved case from 1943, widely referred to as Bella and the Witch Elm. I am one of your hosts, Erica. And I'm your editor, Bryce, filling in for Abby today. So pour yourself a strong cup of joe and let's dive in. Our story starts on Sunday, April 18th, 1943, in Worcestershire, England, in the morning, when four young boys decided to go on a walk through Hagley Woods. Bob Farmer, who was 15 at the time, walked up to a witch hazel tree, which is also referred to as a witch elm, and he looked in the hollow trunk and saw something white sitting in it. At first, he thought it was a bird's nest, but when he looked harder, he realized it was a human skull. This was starting to sound like a fairy tale. I know the beginning sounds a little weird. It's referred to as a witch elm in fairy tales. Once there was a man who stumbled across a witch tree. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, this story isn't a fairy tale. So Bob was obviously terrified and he ran away from the tree and talked to his friends. And they all agreed not to tell anyone what they had found because they'd been trespassing in the woods and were afraid they were going to get in trouble if anyone knew they were there. However, teenage boys can't always keep secrets, and 13-year-old Tommy Willett ended up telling his parents what they had found by evening. His parents immediately called the police, as they should, and the next morning, the Worcestershire County Police and James Webster, who is a forensic expert, were in the woods at the witch hazel tree collecting the skull and the majority of the bones that accompanied the skull. They found a piece of silk stuffed in the mouth of the skull, Along with the skeleton, they found a gold wedding ring, some clothing, and a shoe. They then found another shoe and the right hand belonging to the skeleton about 100 yards away. So this was at least a partial skeleton that they had found with clothing and jewelry on it? Yeah, so they had found a full skeleton. A full um, skeleton. mm -hmm. The only thing that was missing was the right hand, which they then found 100 yards away. Interesting. Okay. James, the forensic expert, quickly concluded that this was the result of foul play. He was also able to determine that the skeleton was that of a young woman with crooked teeth around 35 years old and that she had most likely died around 18 months ago, but it could have been up to 36 months ago. He also determined that she had mousy colored hair, stood at about five feet tall, and had given birth recently. James could not find anything that would point to the cause of death, so he assumed that the fabric in her throat caused her to suffocate, and that was the cause of death. He also said that she would have been placed in the tree shortly after she died because of how tight the space she was in was, because she wouldn't have been able to fit in the space after rigor mortis set in. So when you say that she was inside of this tree, what does that mean? Like she was just up in the tree or actually inside of it? What does that mean? They said that they found her skull in the hollow trunk of the tree. So that makes it like, was this tree dead or what does this tree look like? So let me show you a picture of it. You know, this does look like something out of a fairy tale, actually. It looks like a, it looks like something you would see in one of those cartoons where the characters have wandered into the forest and the trees are all gnarled and burnt looking and um, all twisted and mangled. It looks 
it looks like something I would call a witch tree for sure. Yeah, and we're going to post a picture of it on our social media if you guys want to check it out. Ooh, spooky. Police released a description of the woman, and they searched through over 3,000 missing person cases around the country and found nothing, which, once again, to me, is just one of those things where it's crazy for no one to notice someone missing. This just goes back to Bryce Lespiza, doesn't it, Erica? (laughs) Well, we all know that that's the case I'm obsessed with, but yes, it does. So they searched dental records to see if there were any matches, but that was also a dead end. World War II was going on at this time, and honestly, it really took precedence over this unknown victim. And the media very quickly stopped covering the case, and it just slowly faded into the background. By Christmas of 1943, everyone had forgotten about the case. But then someone started to graffiti on walls around the West Midlands, saying, quote, who put Lubella down the witch elm, end quote, and then, quote, Hagley Wood Bella, end quote, and the last and most famous being, quote, who put Bella in the witch elm, end quote. So now there's a name attached to it. And that's, yeah, that's where the famous name came from. Which could totally be made up, but it did come from somewhere. Correct. After this, they started calling the victim Bella and just started referring to her as that because they didn't really know what else to call her, I guess. They realized that the person responsible for the graffiti was doing it by hand and they didn't know who was doing it and they weren't even sure if the person doing it was at all related to the crime and if they were the perpetrator or if they were just some prankster that was trying to bring attention back to the case for some reason. It's quite possibly somebody just trying to make something interesting out of it just because they can or they want to be... Because they know that there's not much information about this case. So anything they put out there as potentially suspicious or interesting, people are just going to pick up on, which worked because now that's what they call the lady. So so it's quite possible it was just that. It could be just teenagers playing around or and trying to like scare people or something, or it could have been the perpetrator taunting the police for not being able to find him. This case caused many rumors to happen, and some of the rumors were saying that maybe she had been killed in an occult ceremony as some sort of execution. Some thought that maybe she was a victim of a coven of witches. Some believed that she was a German cabaret singer, but nothing was really sticking out to police, and the case went cold. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. That was until 1953 when a journalist named Wilford Byford Jones received a new lead. He was writing an article for the Wolverhampton Express and Star, and it caused people to start to talk about the case again. He received a letter from Anna of Claverly that offered new details about what had supposedly happened to Bella, stating that she had been murdered because she was involved in a Nazi spy ring. 
Police felt like this was a better theory than the Coven of Witches or the occult ceremony, as hundreds of German spies had been captured during the war. Anna eventually identified herself to be Una Mosip, who said that her husband Jack worked for a munitions factory and ended up finding some money after meeting a Dutchman. This Dutchman, according to Una, was a Nazi agent, and Jack told Una that he had seen the Dutchman arguing with a Dutch woman, and then he made Jack drive them to the client hills where the Dutchman strangled the woman in the car after a fight had broke out. Jack supposedly then helped carry the body into the Hagley Woods, and they buried the body in a witch elm. Una stated that her husband was so traumatized by the murder, and he had a nervous breakdown because he kept having nightmares about it. And he was eventually institutionalized in 1941 and died a year later in the institution. So when you told me the story about how she was potentially strangled in a car and then buried in this tree... Now I'm wondering where this hand is involved in and why her hand suddenly is removed and put 100 yards away or something. I just, I wonder if that's relevant, but it could also be the fact that her body was decaying and perhaps an animal came up and took her hand or something silly. But that's, that's what I wondered if maybe there were any rituals about that sort of thing. Is anything ever brought up about the hand again? No, nothing's ever brought up about the hand again. I didn't see anything in regards to whether or not the hand was severed before death, after death, or if, like you said, an animal had perhaps moved it after the body had been decaying. I think all of those are plausible, and I don't think that police even knew what had really happened because she'd already been decaying for so long. There was one man that reported that he heard screams coming from the woods in July of 1942, but this didn't have any other evidence to support the story. So this July of 1942 story would have been about nine months before the body was found. And the forensic expert did believe that it was about 18 months. So that one kind of doesn't quite fit what the forensic expert said, but that 1941 story does. I'm not terribly familiar with how quickly bodies decompose, but is nine months even enough to turn into a skeleton? I don't know, honestly, how long it takes for a body to completely decompose to the point of being a skeleton, but I do know that like environmental factors will have something to do with it. So I don't know if being in the woods in a natural environment, if that would have any change in that. I know like colder temperatures can preserve a body for longer, but I'm not sure 100% how hot it was in England at this time. Well, I think the biggest difference is buried in a casket versus out in the elements bugs are going to get to it much easier and there's animals and i feel like nine months is enough time probably okay in 2017 a forensic anthropologist named caroline wilkinson was approached by alex and pete merrill a father and son author duo who asked her if she could reconstruct the victim's face using the photographs of the skull Wilkinson agreed to do so, as she had done similar tasks before. She constructed a photo of what the victim was believed to look like, and I'll post a picture on our social media of it, but Bryce, I'm going to show it to you. That seems like something that takes a lot of skill, because I feel like the skin and tendons and the amount of fat and just the way that you were born can completely change the way somebody looks just by their face. And I feel like underneath all that, skulls pretty much look pretty similar, I feel like. But she's able to come up with a drawing that resembles a specific looking type of human? Yes, what they believe was her. 
I'm also going to show you a picture of her skull. So that's what they believed that she looked like. And this is her skull. Sorry to gross you out a little bit, but there are pieces of hair still attached, which is how they were able to determine the hair color and type. And then her teeth really stand out. They're that kind of jagged, crooked. Yeah, this is a very specific drawing of a person. Like, it, it's basically photorealistic. It is. And I feel like if you knew her in real life, you could probably figure out who it is by looking at this photo. Caroline did say that photos can emit certain depths and features, and the photo she reconstructed may not be 100% accurate, as she was basing it off of a photo of a skull that she had seen. There's been nothing new since this face was reconstructed in 2017. However, Alex and Pete did write a book about the case and their discoveries, if you want to check it out. It's called Who Put Bella in the Witch Elm, Volume 1, The Crime Scene Revisited. This case has gone unsolved for 76 years now, and I hate to say it, but I have a hard time seeing this case ending with the answers to questions that we are all asking ourselves. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. If you would like to support us, go to anchor.fm forward slash Erica dash Abby. Donations to our podcast are greatly appreciated and go into making the podcast possible. If you like us, you can recommend us or give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to us on your podcast listening medium. Thank you so much.